right now. Everybody, you got to get comfortable now, but not too comfortable. Settle in for the reading of God's Word from the book of Malachi. The name of our message is Only the Best for God. Several months ago, the Lord said, I want you to preach a message on Only the Best for God. And I said, okay. Tucked it away, wrote it down, had no idea what God really wanted me to say about Only the Best for God. But you're going to find out what Only the Best for For God is all about, from the book of Malachi, chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. This is God speaking. A son honors his father. By the way, the book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So if you know where Matthew is, go backwards. One book. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If I am father, where is my honor? If I am master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But you say, in in what way have we defiled you? By saying that the table of the Lord is contemptible. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is that not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While all of this is being done by your hands, will God accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name is to be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord. But you profane it, and that you say that the table of the Lord is defiled, that its fruit, its food is contemptible. And you say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. Thus you bring your offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a healthy male, and then takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great God, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would learn today what it means to truly honor you, to truly worship you and make your name great among the nations. Teach your people today. And God, may we put you first. May we honor you first in Jesus' name. Amen. In your bulletin, there are some sermon notes. You can pull those out at this time. When the children of Israel were delivered from slavery in Egypt, they really had to renew their minds. You see, after 400 years of slavery, you naturally begin to think like a slave. And at times, you behave brutishly, meaning you treat people inhumanely. 
And that's obvious after they were always mistreated and beaten. But there was something else going on in Egypt. In Egypt, the country was polytheistic. Teenagers, does anybody know what polytheistic means? What what does it mean, Ocean? The worship of many gods. Very good. So in Egypt, they worshipped many gods. And so God had to teach them about the one true God. Write this down. They had to be re-educated in God's ways. And listen, today, we're no different. We live in a pagan society that is becoming godless by the day. We are drifting further and further from God. Church, we need a revival. We need a revival. We need to renew our minds in God's word. So God began to teach the children of Israel about himself that he was eternal creator, the only one and true God. He showed them great signs in Egypt. He protected them from horrific devastation. He delivered them from slavery. And Israel became a very special treasure to him. But everything that God gave them and everything that God taught them, it had purpose and meaning But God did not always explain the meeting, but he still expected his people to trust him. Write that down. He expected his people to trust him. Christian, let me ask you a question today. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? There's something we have to understand about God is that he doesn't owe us an explanation and I know that grates against our prideful, time, our prideful minds, but it is a fact. God does not owe us an explanation, but we owe Him everything. And we, as His children, we have to trust Him. And we have to follow Him. Write this down. We have to follow Him by faith. So today I want to teach us how we can trust in God... Why God deserves our very best. And when we give him our best, then God opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing that we can't even contain. Amen? Now I want us to fast forward to the days of Ezra the priest, Nehemiah who was the cup bearer to the king of Persia. Now, If you know, if you have heard and read in the Bible about Nehemiah who came back and rebuilt the walls, raise your hand. Okay, very, very good. So Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. He requested that he could go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He went back. Ezra the priest went back. But the priests were corrupted. They were defiled. Listen closely. And so God sent them a prophet. Who was that prophet? Malachi. Write that down. Malachi was the prophet at the time of this writing. Where is my honor? God says in verse 6, Where is my honor if sons honor fathers and servants obey their masters? If I am heavenly father, where is my honor? Where is my reverence? Well, why is God saying this? Because the people at this time were coming and offering defiled sacrifices to God. 
In the book of Leviticus, the people were taught to bring God a lamb that was without spot or blemish. That's in your notes, without spot or blemish. So to help us understand further, the people were required to bring a tenth or a tithe of their flocks, their herds, their grain, their fruit as an offering. This was received by God, but it was given to the Levites. It was given to the priests to sustain them and then to provide, write this down, to provide for the temple of God. Under, in your notes, under defiled offerings, God required the people to, so if you, let's say you had sheep, God required you to count your sheep and one of ten was to be given to God. They were to bring a tenth of their grain, vegetables, olives. But during Malachi's day, the people would look over their ten sheep and they, instead of choosing the very best for God, which is what God required, they would choose the one that was weak. They would choose the one that was sick because they knew it would not sell at the market. And here was their thinking. Well, God doesn't really care. You know, God doesn't mind if we give him a a defiled sheep or a sick sheep or a maimed sheep. Because he's God and he's just happy that we're bringing an offering. God is kind and he's compassionate and God understands, right? Wrong. God does not understand. No, he does not understand that at all. And that's what we're learning today from God's word. Well, what's the big deal, pastor? So they offered defiled sheep. Think, Christian. Think. The lamb had to be perfect without blemish. Let me ask the teenagers. Okay, the lamb had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish because it represented something. What do you think that represented? Very good, Richard. It represented Jesus. Is everybody with me? The lamb had to be spotless and it had to be perfect. Write this down. It pointed to something. These lambs represented prophetically Jesus, the perfect, sinless lamb of God. And that's why it was a big deal. And the priests were disobedient. That's why Malachi came on the scene. So I want you to imagine this. Someone comes to the temple to worship, to ask God to take away their sins, and they bring a sheep that is diseased. And they bring it to the priest, and the priest looks it over and says, Hey, this sheep is diseased. Take it back home and bring back one that is perfect, that is spotless, and... and Bring that back. That's what God will accept. And they said, come on, man, we grew up together. Just let it slide. Just dress it out. Here, 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 here's a 20. Just take care of it. You know, just dress the sheep out, sacrifice it, and I'm going to be on my way. All right? And many of the priests did. They did not stop the people. They sacrificed the, the, the lame The defiled sheep. Write this down. The priests were winking at the people's disobedience. 
Well, what is disobedience? Write this down. It is sin. Instead of telling the people, no, you cannot offer this to God. God only deserves the best. The priest did not defend God's glory. They had no fear of God. They feared the people more and they loved being bribed. So God was saying, don't you think I see this? God was saying, not only to the people, but to the priests, don't you think you see this? You're kidding me, right? You're offering me defiled sheep that you can't sell. Why don't you just try offering that to your governor? Do you think your governor would be pleased? Of course he wouldn't. And then you have the gall, you have the gall to bring me this defiled sheep that you can't sell. And then say, oh God, bless me and bless my family and bless my house and take away my sins. And God is saying, no way. I will not even hear this prayer. Who is there among you? God was saying, this is where Malachi came in. He was a farmer. God said, who is there who would come and and shut the doors and say, no, God is great. God is holy. You're not going to sacrifice that junk to God. Get that out of here. You're not going to bring that in this holy place. Who is it? Who will do it? And it was Malachi. Malachi said, I'll do it, God. I won't let the people defile your great name. Verse 10, God says, I have no pleasure in you, nor will I accept your offerings. Let's look at acceptable offerings. This is interesting. God wouldn't accept their offering because, number one, they didn't respect God. They didn't respect him. If you respect God, you give him your best, right? And this is probably because they they didn't understand who God was. And I, I want to remind you today. Who God is. Do do you understand who God is? And and let let me just tell you, we have to constantly remind ourselves of who God is. Because we are so familiar with God. As Christians, you're very familiar with God. But you need to remind yourself that God is the eternal creator. Amen? That God created the earth. He he placed the earth in the only place possible where humans live could live our earth is is spinning on its axis it is orbiting the sun and god keeps us in motion do you understand that church god keeps us in motion why does the sun keep shining because god makes it shine god gives us gravity and i'm grateful for gravity aren't you you better be Uh, God gives us oxygen. God makes our crops grow. God has given us wisdom to create cars and industry. Everything good that we have comes from God. But if you don't know this, then you don't care about what God should have or what God should receive from us. So they didn't respect God. Number two, their hearts were deceitful. They wanted to make some money and they didn't trust God to provide it for them. They didn't even think that God saw their little shenanigans. But of course, God did. And God said, I have no pleasure 
in you, nor will I accept your offering. Number three, ultimately they could care less. They said in verses 11 through 14, oh, it's just too much of a burden to worship God with an offering. They sneered at God's offering, and and that means they just could care less. Why does God need my offering? What's he going to really do with my offering? It's really just a priest that get it anyway. Who cares? And ultimately what they were saying with their actions is, now listen, listen church, God, you aren't worthy. God, you aren't great. And I don't believe in you. And so that, that, that brings it all around to us today. God, church, is a great God. Look at verse 14. For I am a great God, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And what God was saying is, if my own people won't respect me enough to honor and serve and obey and worship me with the kind of offering I have prescribed, then why would the world fear me? You see, church, our world doesn't fear God because his own people don't. Are you listening, church? Some of us fall into this category. Our world does not respect God because his own people don't. God is saying, fear me, honor me, obey me so that I will be glorified and honored among the nations. How do we do that, pastor? Let's just keep reading in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances. You've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes. And in offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you such a blessing. There will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall you, the vine, fail to bear fruit in its field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it's useless to serve God. For what profit do we keep his ordinances that we have walked around as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed and those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened to them and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before them. For those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God 
and the one who does not serve him. So how do we show God the respect and the honor that God deserves? By how we deal with money. You see, it's a litmus test, church. God says, return to me and I will return to you. And the people of that day said, how? And God said, in tithes and in offerings. Well, today, obviously, we don't sacrifice lambs and goats and bulls as an offering because Jesus has died. But today, we still bring a tenth of our income to the Lord. And although our problem is not defiled sheep, we still struggle with the same spiritual elements that they did in Malachi's day. You see, some people don't tithe, Christians in our church. They don't tithe. And here's why. Number one, they don't respect God. If you're not tithing, you don't respect God. Okay? If you respect God, you give God your very best. We must, write this down, we must have a new found respect for our God. Number two, when you won't tithe, you're being deceitful. Write this down. Number two, our hearts are deceitful. Like the Israelites, we make this all about money. And ultimately what it is, is we don't trust God to provide for us. Church, we've got to believe and trust in God. Next, like Israel, we don't think that God sees our little shenanigans. The little games that we play with our tithes and our offerings. Giving God the tithe one week, but not giving God the tithe the next week because we need it for something. Or giving God 7% or 8% or 9% instead of what he has prescribed. Some people will take their tithe, God's holy tithe, and go on vacation and spend God's holy tithe. Church, it doesn't belong to you. And God holds the priests accountable to tell the people, don't defile yourself. Don't you take that offering. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Amen. And he put it in your hand. He gives you something so that you can give back to him. Amen. Why? Because he's a great God. And he is worthy of all of our praise. Number three, some of us could just care less. We don't worship God with tithes and offerings. We say things like this. Look at this place. They got chandeliers. What do they need my money for? Right? Have have you ever heard that? People make it about money. Well, they look like they're doing pretty good around here. Look at these pews. Man, you're doing fine. And we make it about money instead of what God wants. Honoring and revering God. Write that down. And making his name great among the nations. Never forget this. Offerings are about worshiping God. They're never about money. Offerings are about worshiping God, not about money. So let's look at worship posture. What blesses God is when you give all the tithe, not 8%, not 9%, but 10% from a heart, listen, 
Because it goes together from a heart that worships God, saying, God, you're worthy. Our problem is when we're giving our offering, we're neither looking up nor are we worshiping God, but we're rather like Lot's wife. We're looking back at what we have left over. How much are we going to have to spend on this and that? Wondering what we may have to miss out on. But church, we're missing the whole point. We would have nothing. Write it down. You would have nothing if it wasn't for God. If God did not grant you the means and the mind to get your education. If God did not grant you that good job. If God did not give you favor, you would have nothing. God has blessed you. Is anybody awake? God has blessed you, church. Say amen. Amen. God has blessed you and he's testing you. Write it down. Yes, he is. He's testing me. Yes, yes. Get over it. God is testing you. He wants to see where your heart is. For those of you that take the whole tithe and you come with excitement and passion and you look up to God from a, from a heart that is worshiping him and you say, God, you're worthy to receive this gift. I worship you. I love you. Be blessed, my father. Those people are blessed, church. Are you blessed? Those people are blessed. God receives your, listen, pure offering. And although to God it may be like two pennies in value, when it's coupled with worship, God receives it from your heart and it takes on the value of a pearl of great price. Remember this, it's never about the amount. It's about obedience mingled with pure worship that touches God's heart. When my children were teenagers, except for Anna, they all had jobs. And I won't forget that Christmas, the kids were so excited because they were able not only to buy mom and dad a gift, they were able to buy each other gifts. They loved it, except for Anna. Anna couldn't do that. And so Anna went up to her room and she took some copy paper and some markers and she made everybody a card and she wrote something special in every one of those cards and she presented to all of us at Christmas time after all these years it's hard to recall the presence of monetary value that we have received but the gift that was only copier paper and colored markers literally worth Pennies, value-wise, became the most priceless gift given, gifts that we still have. Because they came from a heart, from an individual who had nothing to give. Do you see, church, it's, it's not the amount that honors God. It's your eyes looking up to God, your Father, with purity and love. It's, it's your hands cupped. Raising that offering to God. It's your heart saying, are you pleased, Father? Are you pleased? I want it to bless you, Father. So what is your posture in worship when you're bringing your offering? 
Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Are you looking up to God or are you looking back? You know the story. Genesis 19. God raining down fire and brimstone from heaven, destroying Sodom and Gomorrah because they were practicing homosexuality. The angels grabbed Lot, grabbed the family, his wife, his two daughters, literally dragging them out. And they said, don't look back. And not only did Lot's wife look back, I believe she turned back and she became a pillar of salt. Think about that, looking back. Her problem was that she loved what God asked her to leave behind. You need to think about that. She loved what God had asked her to leave behind. Her heart was in Sodom. And some of us are the very same way. You may be here in body. Listen, you may even give God 10% of your income, but your heart's not in it. You keep looking back at what you have left. You keep looking back saying, oh, I guess we can't do that. We can't do this. I remember a, a leader in the last church I pastored said to me, yeah, pastor, my tithe adds up to a good healthy car payment. I thought, wow. That's what you think about the worship of God? Missing out on a good, healthy car. Our eyes are not lifted up with a loving smile. No, our back is turned, looking back at what we have left over. Christian, what is your worship posture The Apostle Paul says, let your giving be done cheerfully because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And church, it honestly, it takes the right combination. Listen to me. It takes the right combination. It's not just the tithe. In my last church, I remember that we were having some type of fellowship and we took this huge pot and and filled it up with water and put it on the stove. We were going to make spaghetti and, and uh, Ellen, we did not have an industrial stove. We had a domestic stove. So you already know what happened, right? So 15 minutes later, we came back to the pot and we tried, oh, it's cold. Went back, we were playing games, just having a fellowship. Came back again, half hour later, still not boiling. Came back 45 minutes, still not boiling. An hour later, still not boiling. Yeah, so we dumped out half of it. And, uh, and finally, yeah, of course, it started boiling. It takes the right combination. Church, write this down. When we combine our love and our fear, our respect and our worship with the tithe, that is the recipe for a miracle. Amen? That is the recipe for a miracle. And then this is what God says in Malachi 3.10. Test me. God invites you, test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing. And that means all of us, even teenagers, start tithing now if you're not tithing. And worship God with your tithes so that God can bless you and bless you and bless you. 
God wants a relationship with you. He desires for you to know who he is and to worship him from an undefiled heart. To be obedient to him and offer the tithe and offerings. And when we do, God will open the windows of heaven. The book of remembrance. Worship team, I'm going to have you come up at this time. The book of remembrance. Those who love and worship and speak about God and those who follow his ways, God reminds us it's all being recorded in heaven. Listen, church, don't you think that God doesn't hear you in your car on the way home from church? He does. He hears you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday as you're driving around. He hears you in your house and the conversations that you're having. He sees you. And he hears you, and it's all being recorded in heaven. Some of us need to repent, okay? But here's what God says. Those who love me, those who fear me, they shall be mine. God says, I will make them my jewels. Then it goes on to say that you will be able to make a distinction between those who fear God and serve God and those who don't. Christian, you have a choice. You can walk in the delight of the Lord and receive his blessings, or you can care more about money than God, and you can look back, and you will suffer the consequences for it. But for me, I want to be God's jewel. Amen? I want to be God's jewel. I want to be the guy that God is writing and talking to the angels about. You see that guy? Oh, yeah, he loves me. Don't you want to be that guy? Yes, you do. Praise God. I want to make him proud. Today, in your bulletin, there's a little pledge card. I want you to take it out. If you don't have one of these, raise your hand. Do we have some extras, Mike? Excellent. If you did not receive a pledge card, raise your hand, and Mike will bring you one. But I want you to write your name on this pledge card and we're going to bring it up to the altar. Just lay it anywhere on the altar in just a few moments. But I want you to think differently about just putting your money in the offering basket. I want you to think differently about it, church. I want you to worship God with your giving. I even want you to worship God when you come and lay this down. I want you to say to God, you are worthy. You are great. And I bless you. I praise you. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, God's name shall be great among the nations. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Church, if we don't fear God, no one will. Amen? If you don't fear God, no one will. We must keep God's name great. Let's stand to our feet. The worship team is going to lead us in 10,000 reasons to praise him, right? Amen. And honor him. Right on your card. And as we're singing, as we're worshiping, come and lay this on the altar.